Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Hey, wonderful music tonight. That was awesome, wasn't it? Man, that choir song, that was great, wasn't it? Man, I'll tell you what, the old devil can put that in his pipe and smoke it, amen? That was good. Wonderful truth. It's so good to see you. Uh, I wasn't here in orientation, so I don't know where everybody's from. So how many of you are from Texas? Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Bunch of rednecks. That's great. You guys are awesome, man. I love Texas. I'm telling you, great state. And how many from Louisiana? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of what I thought too. Nah, I'm just kidding. I love Louisiana too, man. Great food, great fishing here. It's a great place, man. I love it here. And I lived here for a long time too, working at Southland. How many of you? This is the first time you've been in a camp week where I was a preacher. How many of you are like that? First time? Oh, good. Oh, lots of new friends. That's going to be great. Well, uh, I, I'm Brian Sams. I'm pastor at Harvest Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And so I love Florida, love what God's doing at our church, and, and I'm excited about being with you this week. We had a wonderful day yesterday in the Lord's house, and then got up early this morning with my son, Brent. We flew here, and uh, glad to be here with you, man. I love Southland. And I was thinking, uh, just as I, as I got here, the one thing about Southland that I love uh, well, there's a lot of things. One thing is, it's just a reunion. Everywhere you look, you just walk around, there's always, you're just catching up with somebody that you haven't seen in a long time. And there are some great people here at Southland, and there's some great leaders here in your churches. And it's awesome to catch up, you know? I was thinking, I saw the Says back there. Uh, they're from Louisiana, I'm proud of it. And I saw them, and I thought to myself, as I walked away from them a few minutes ago, I preached in their church probably, oh my word, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. That makes me feel really old. And here's the thing. You know what I love about them? They're still at their church. They're still serving God. Y'all ain't even hearing what I'm saying, are you? They're still at their church. They're still serving God. They're still married. And my brother says, that's a big deal. I'm going to tell you right now. You say, why, why did you point that out? I pointed out because that's a goal for your life. That's a goal for your life. Serve God and don't stop. Okay, camp's over. Okay, let's go home. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Pretty much what you want to do is you want to take a look at some of these leaders and people that God have put in your life, those that are being faithful, and you want to say, you know what, God, that's where I want to be there. That's what I want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, be a flash in the pan as a teenager and you'll get all excited about something and then be, and then be done with it. I wanna serve God. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna follow God. I wanna have like a life that counts and matters for something like five, six years from now, something like something's going on in life that actually matters 
And I don't mean like high scores on video games, okay? That's not what I meant by that. I mean, I know, I know that like, that might be like your goal right now, but I hope when you're 25, the goals are a little higher. Somebody help me up here, right? I hope they get a little higher. And that's okay. Hey, fun and games is great right now. But look, what you got to do is you got to get yourself set right now on what we call trajectory, the direction. Where are you going? Where are you going in your life? And I'm thinking back through so many stories I won't share any right now, but how many times, not in this chapel, in the other chapel, how many times did, did I see somebody's life the whole trajectory changed here in a week like this. And that's, that's really cool, isn't it? I want you to take your Bible tonight. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter one. I want to say thank you to Brother Mike for uh, the, the, the invitation to be here. I always love coming here. I started preaching here uh, in 2003. And so I think that was the year. I got married in 2002. I think I came the next summer and worked here every summer until 2000 and, uh, through 2008. And so I love Southland. And is this showdown in the swampland? Is that what this is? Yeah, I can tell. And uh, I remember, I remember that, I don't know what skits they're doing, but I remember being in these skits. It was a lot of fun. And this is just great, great, um, great place. And, and by the way, I didn't ask this. How many of you, this is your first time at Southland? Anybody like that? Anybody here? Okay, so a bunch of you that are new. Listen, what, what, what's great about this camp, one of the things I love about this camp is there's such amazing longevity in the players that are here. It's really awesome. You don't see that a lot. You don't see that a lot in churches. You certainly don't see a lot in camp ministries. That speaks to the leadership of this place. Brother Mike's done a great job. And uh, if this is your first year, you didn't know that this is, I mean, this is basically brand new. I think I preached the first week last year in this beautiful gym. And I mean, what God's doing here is great. So you're in a sacred place. You're in a holy place. You're in a place where God has worked, where this, this, this acreage here has been used by God. And I think when you walk on this property, uh, people have been bathing this week in prayer. And so, so that puts this uh, where God is is in a position through us seeking him and us being right with him where he can really work. And when you get here, and, and even if you try to sneak your cell phone in your cabin, you can't use it, ha, ha, ha. So for y'all that still have it, you know, good for you. You know, everybody that kept their cell phone, tried to sneak it through, and now you can't use it, ha, ha, right? You know, and go, go. I, I know a place you can use it, so no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, there, there's not a lot of great places to use it. It's great, block it out, get away, don't worry about it and focus in uh, on God for a few days. It'll be good for you, okay? Now, I'm gonna do something I've never done before at camp, okay? And it's gonna be a little, little different for me. But I, I, I was talking to Brother Mike about what the camp week is gonna be like for you, both in your cabin devotions, <coughs> as well as your uh, God and I time, just, just, and the theme of the week. It, you're, you're going to be, you don't know this yet probably, but you're going to be studying the book of Philippians. That's kind of what you're, that's what you're going to be looking at. And, and I, I am also going to do that in, this, in, this, in the, my preaching times. I've never done this before, um, but recently I preached through the book of Philippians in our church. And, and as I was thinking through some of the messages and how they, how they fit so well into many of the things that I would preach at camp anyways, God really put it on my heart just to start right there in chapter one and just start working our way through. Now, I preached 17 messages out of Philippians, so I'm not going to be able to get to all of them uh, this week. I might, I might combine some, but I'm going to pick and choose some along the journey, and I'm going to ask God to speak to you. How many of you believe this? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. How many of you believe that? If you believe that, then it does not matter what page you open to. It does not matter what verse you open to. It is the power of God unto salvation. I believe that. I believe every word of the Bible is inspired by God. 
Somebody better say amen or I'm gonna change, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shift gears here, okay? I believe every word of the Bible is inspired. It's from God. It, it's, 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 not, it's not, look, it's not Brian's book. It's not Mike's book. It's not a camp's book. It's God's book. Literally, when I read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I'm reading God speaking to my heart. That's what the Bible is. You say, well, man, I'm looking to hear, uh, you know, I wanna hear from God this week. Good, read your Bible. You say, man, I'm waiting for God to speak out loud to me. Good, read your Bible out loud and God will speak out loud to you. So when I come to the Bible and I read these verses and then by God's grace do whatever the best I can do to unpack and, and, and share with you what they are, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's Philippians 1 verse 1. It doesn't matter if it's Philippians 3 verse 13. Anywhere in between all the way to the end, here's what you know. Here's what you know. If you've got somebody in front of you if you've got somebody in front of you that is preaching the Bible, then you are listening to God speak to you as those verses are taught to your heart. Now listen to me very carefully. Half of the world doesn't have the privilege that you have tonight. Half the world. In fact, I, <coughs> I baptized a man yesterday morning in our church named Psalm. Ian Poor, it's his last name. I was struggling with his last name. I, I mean, it's like the weirdest spelling I ever saw in my life. And I walked up to him, he told me like 15 times what it was. I said, well, it sounds like I am poor. He said, yeah, that'll work. So that's what I said when he was in the baptistry. I don't know if that's what it is or not, but that's what it sounds like. He's from Iran. He's from Iran. And, and, I, and I, thanks, Mike. In Iran, they speak, I didn't know this, they speak Persian. Did you know that? Anybody know that? I didn't know that. I thought they sp spoke Arabic. I just thought that was like the whole Middle East. But he told me there's two countries in the Middle East that are Persian, Iran and I can't remember the other one, but there's two of them. The rest of them speak Arabic. Okay, he came up to me at, before he got baptized and he was wanting to know of what baptism really was. So I had a Bible study with him and he said, Pastor, I got a question for you. Could you help me find a Persian English um, Bible, what they call parallel Bible, two, you know, the Bible side by side so he could see it in English and in, and in Persian. Do you know that right now, as far as parallel Bibles are concerned, there's only one book of the Bible that's parallel in Persian and English. Did you know that? Only one, Genesis. So here's a guy trying to learn English, trying to learn the Bible, and it's not easy because he doesn't have what you have. Some of you got as many Bibles in your closet as you have clothes. My daughter came rushing out of her room the other day after we moved into our new house on Friday and she said, Dad, I found seven Bibles in my box. And I'm like, and literally it hit me. You have seven. Most of the world doesn't have one. And where we are, where we are today as Americans, as we're so clueless about this, that we'll sit through Bible preaching services and not even open it. Not even write anything down as if it didn't even matter. Yeah, I'm talking to you. As if, as if this is just this, this not a big deal. Let's go play air hockey because that is a big deal. And look, I'm all for fun. But look, when I fly several hundred miles uh, after a big day at my church, and I'm gonna fly right back to do the same thing next weekend. I didn't fly out here for my health, certainly not, can't even talk. I didn't fly out here because I don't have anything else to do. I'm getting ready to go through a major building program. 
I didn't fly out here because I love being away from my family. I flew out here. Listen, I flew out here for one reason, okay? To preach unto you the words of the living God. And when I'm here over the next few hours that I get to be here, that's exactly what I intend to do, okay? So that's what we're gonna do. You say, man, that's not very fun. Well, I think it'll be fun, okay? I think it'll be fun. And even if it's not fun, somebody said fat, uh, uh, oatmeal's not why a fat boy gets out of bed, better work. Somebody say amen, okay? <laughs> look, it, 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 look it, it may not be fun all the time. It may not be laughing all the time, but it will be God's word. And if it's God's word, then it can change your life. Let's stand if we could, okay? Philippians chapter number one, verse number one. Paul and Timotheus, and by the way, when we see that for the rest of the book, I'm just gonna give it its abbreviated name, Timothy. That's a Greek name, Timotheus. That's what he was, he was Greek. So that elongated word is not what you're used to seeing. When you're seeing Timothy, the two books that were written, Timothy, first, second Timothy, that's the same guy. That's his Greek name, okay? Acts 16, 1 is the first time you see that name in the Bible. So just so you're clear, this is Paul and Timothy, who we, most of you, if you're, if you're from church, you, you know that, okay? The servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will, mark it, will, Perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Tonight's message is entitled, Thankful. Thankful. I'm thankful tonight, how about you? Paul was thankful. And he had a lot of reason to be, and so do you. Let's pray, let's ask God to help us tonight. Lord, please use the message tonight as my prayer. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you'll be seated just for a moment now, I wanna start this message a little different than normal. I'm gonna set up this entire series. You're gonna learn this tomorrow in God night time, but I wanna take a few minutes at the beginning of this message to establish what this whole thing is all about. I do not believe there could be a more applicable a more needed book of the Bible to learn right now in the world than the book of Philippians. Never have I ever seen and experienced more people grappling for significance and happiness and coming up short than we do in our world today. Wasn't it just last week that yet again, two prominent, well-known, wealthy, influential, prominent people took their lives. Kate Spade took her life last week. Anthony Bourdain took his life last week. One, a fashion handbag designer that maybe some of you carry her uh, handbags. Uh, uh, then one was a, a television personality that traveled around the world and uh, 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 had a, what seemed to be a very glamorous, very fun, very exciting life. But as is often the case, 
As you look back through the last decade or two decades, really, really all through history, you, you've seen this, this, this idea that when sometimes people have everything that they seem to want, they, they find out that they don't want what they actually have. Or as it's been said, sometimes people climb the ladder of success in their life and they get to the top. And the only problem is they found out that that ladder was leaned up against the wrong building. Happiness is not a good life goal for your life. Joy is a great goal for your life. And let me explain the difference real quick as we get into this book. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me show you how that, a, a very easy way for you to understand the difference between happiness and joy, okay? Happiness is very similar to the word happenings. Happiness has everything to do with what is happening to me. So with things that are happening to me that are good, I am happy because my happenings are fortunate. But the minute that my happenings are no longer fortunate, the, the minute that what is happening in my life is not what I wanted or what I wished or what I dream, all of a sudden I'm not happy anymore because my happiness depended on my happenings. What I wanna teach you about this week and what you're gonna learn about this week is not happiness, the happiness that you get after your birthday party and you've looked at the pile of clothes that you had already went to the mall and picked out that you knew you were getting. Happiness is not uh, what you get when you realize that your parents are getting ready to take you on a dream vacation or you've maybe just been asked out on your first date. No, 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 no. Happiness or joy is not those things that are circumstantial, that require something good to be happening in my life in order for that to occur. I am talking about tonight a joy that can be in your life that is steady and consistent, that has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstances at all, but has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the problem with many young people today. Many young people today have a parented relationship with God at best. Your relationship with God oftentimes is something that has been parented, spoken back all that you've been spoken to. For instance, many of you parrot or puppet whatever your parents have said or taught over the years. Many of you have failed, uh, no doubt, to develop a personal relationship with God. And because your relationship with God is not probably where it should be or needs to be, your joy or happiness in life is very much dependent on you having a good day or you getting good grades or you being healthy or you having everything that you want and the minute that gets out of, out of sort just a little bit, then you end up falling apart in life. Now, young person, what I'm saying could not be any more applicable to you today because I promise you all of your happenings are not going to be great. All of your circumstances are not going to be happy. All of your experiences in life are not going to naturally bring you joy. But I'm here to tell you something, that you do not have to live under your circumstances. You can live above your circumstances. And that's really the theme of the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a book about living above your circumstances. Young person, there is a way that you can have joy in your life all the time. Even at the hardest moments, even the most difficult times, because you know that you have a relationship with God and that anchor carries you through all storms. There is nobody in the Bible that illustrates this idea better than the Apostle Paul. In fact, the book of Philippians is one of three, maybe four uh, uh, letters in the New Testament that are called prison epistles. And the reason that they're called prison epistles is because Paul wrote them from prison. 
And I'm not talking about a prison where you get three square meals a day, a college education, a weight room, and, and where the government spends, what, $80 a day on you to rehab you. I'm talking about a dark dungeon, shackled up and chained, malnutrition on the very brinks of death and darkness and decay every day, all day. This man, Paul, writes a letter, one of his four letters, writes one of his letters back to a church in Philippi, a city, and when he writes this letter back to this church, he mentions some form of the word joy, either as a commandment or as a statement, 17 times in four chapters. Now, in Bible study, we call that a reoccurrence. We say that that, that recurring theme means that this was what was on Paul's heart. And when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he wrote it back to the church of Philippi for two reasons. Number one, Number one, he was giving them an update of his circumstances. Now, I'm gonna preach about that tomorrow morning, beginning in verse number 12 of this chapter. But he says, I want you to understand, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. I appreciate your concern for me in jail, but I want you to know I'm okay. And the reason I'm okay is because I've gotten to go places where I would have never gone. I've got to meet people I would have never, come on. I got to meet people I would have never got to meet. I got to share Jesus with people I would have never got to share him with because I got to go to jail. I got to do what God called me to do. Shoo. That's pretty neat. The second reason he wrote the letter is what we're going to talk about tonight. He wrote it to thank them for their care, for their cooperation, and for their communication. This church had given to Paul in his duress when no other church did. This church had loved on Paul when no other church did. This church had a good testimony when many other churches were failing. And this church brought great joy to Paul's heart. And in part, he writes the letter to say, hey, I'm in jail, but it does my heart good to know that you are doing well. By the way, can I stop here and just interject an application if I could? May I say to you that as a teenager, it does the heart of your preacher and your youth pastor and maybe I should say your parents good to know that you are doing well do you know that there is a great amount of joy 3 John 4 I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth Every time I come to Southland, I, I, I just can't help it. I, I love Mike. I love Amy and their family. I love their kids. I've known them uh, since they were little kids. And, and, and now that they're basically adults, I know teenagers, but, but now, now when I come here to Southland and I talk to Malachi and I talk to Micah and I talk to the girls, I mean, here I am having adult conversation about the things of God. Uh, they're telling me they're praying for me, that they've been looking forward to seeing me. And I'm thinking to myself, what joy must that be? What joy must it be to know that, that my kids, the kids that I I've trained, the kids that I've worked on, the kid, come on, the kids that I've prayed for, the kids that I've taught, the kids that I've labored under, the kids that I've wept over, the kids that I've worked on so hard are doing well. Young person, listen to me very carefully. It means a whole lot of good to the heart of somebody that cares about you when you're doing well. It matters. It matters. And so Paul in verses one through six, really verses one through eight, says, I'm thankful. And young person, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you want joy in your life, you better have the foundation of a thankful heart. 
If you want to have real joy in your heart, you better learn where to find it. You better learn how to express it. You better learn to see it. You better uh, uh, rest in its experience. It is a good thing to have a thankful heart. Uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. If you are not a thankful person, if you are not a grateful person, you definitely have no joy in your life because what your experience is, is you always expect somebody to do something for you or be something for you and you never look around enough to see in you what other people have done and how about this, what God has done for you. And so this message is gonna be simple tonight. It's got two points. Number one, I'm thankful for people. I'm thankful for people. And in this set of verses here, Paul mentions people. He mentions people, and in verse three, watch it now, he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of what? Of you. Because I know you, he says, I resound thanksgiving to God because there's something in you that causes me to praise God. And by the way, if you have anybody in your life for which to thank God for, you need to thank God for them because it is God that graced you with that person in your life. Let me ask you a question before I get into this. Can you thank God for your friends right now? Let's take your best friend, whoever it is. Maybe they're not even here. Let's take the person at school that you are the closest to. Let's take your boyfriend or girlfriend right now. Could you take that on your knees at an altar before God and say, God, I thank you for this relationship you brought me into because this relationship has caused me to glorify you more. This relationship has brought me closer to you. Because of this relationship, I can see Jesus in that person and I therefore am a better Christian because I know that person. When Paul looked around him, he was thankful because he had seen what God had done. First of all, in verse one, he mentions people who had been with him from the beginning, namely Timothy. He says, this guy, Timothy, was with me when I first went, and he is still with me now. Nobody warmed the heart of the apostle Paul like Timothy. And young person, I'm gonna tell you right now, nothing will do your heart better than when you have been in life for more than just a few years, and you go down through the, the, the halls of life and you see down through time, years later, people that are still doing what God called them. I gotta tell you, every time I talk to Mike Herbster, I'm gonna tell you right now, my heart rejoices because here's a friendship that has been going on for many, many, many years. And you know what's happening? For many, many, many years. It's just two people that wanna serve God that are trying their best to stick by this stuff. And I gotta tell you, you better latch on to some people like that in your life right now. For some of you right now, I'm telling you right now, your life is gonna get all jacked up because you're messing around with the wrong friends right now. Right now. You're about one step away from the devil's crowd because you're not running with the right kind of people right now. You know it, I know it, especially God knows it. Your parents know it. They probably are bearing your name out to God right now. They see it. It oftentimes starts happening in upper elementary school. There's just this attraction that happens between you sometimes when you're in it. And by the way, it always happens when your heart's not right. I used to tell the college students, I taught all the time, hey, if you want a godly wife, let me give you a suggestion, be a godly guy because what godly girl is gonna wanna marry somebody that's not godly, hello? 
The reason that I'm drawn to punks, the reason I am drawn to people that don't love God, the reason I am drawn to people that do not respect the Are y'all listening to me tonight? The reason that I am drawn to those people is because that's where my heart is drawn. <laughs> that's why already you've been here less than five hours. And some of y'all done found somebody that doesn't love God that you didn't even know before you got here. And now you're like besties. You're about to get each other's names tattooed on your neck. Which by the way, can I give you a recommendation? Never a neck tat, okay? If you're gonna get one, for crying out loud, don't get one on your neck, okay? That is a really bad idea in every part of your life, so don't do it. Okay. And that was free. Watch this though. Not only was Paul thankful for people that had walked with him on this journey, watch this. Paul was thankful for what he had seen grow up in this church, watch it, that wasn't there when he got there the first time. Look, I know you may miss that just by a surface reading, but let's back up here. Paul and Timothy, watch it. Unto the saints which are in the church at Philippi. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, hey, listen, it wasn't but just a few months before that or a few years before that, there wasn't a church in Philippi. You listen to me? There was no saints there. There was no gospel preaching church there. And Paul now is saying, not only do I thank people that have been with me, I now thank God for the people who have followed behind me. Isn't it amazing to think that Paul Paul walked into a town that had no church whatsoever. And not only now is there a church, leadership has been raised up in that church with the bishops and the deacons. Now, I, I can imagine who Paul had on his mind when he wrote this. All you gotta do is read through Acts 16 and you'll see it unfold before your eyes. I imagine he had Lydia on his mind. Lydia, that rich girl, that got saved down by the riverside. And she became a very integral part of the early networking of that church. Can you all imagine when Paul talked about the saints, no doubt she was on his mind. No doubt the girl who was demon possessed that God delivered her from that. That literally she was a woman that was used to make money for idol worshipers and her heart was completely transformed by the grace of God. I can imagine he was thinking about her. I look out every Sunday morning, left side of my auditorium, I see Alyssa. When I came to Harvest Baptist Church, she was in jail. She'd been strung out on crack cocaine for six years. Six years. When she came to our church, she got saved, she got baptized. She, y'all didn't even hear that, did you? She got saved, she got baptized. Then, then she began to grow in the Lord. And I, I remember when she decided that she wanted to be involved in ministry and so she filled out a background paper to be able to work in our nursery. And she came to my wife in tears and said, uh, Miss Angie, I want you to know that before you ever get that background sheet back, I want to tell you everything that's on that background sheet. And you got to understand, my wife went to a Christian school from like K to K or to 12th grade. I mean, like the, the worst thing my wife did in high school was like catch an attitude with a volleyball ref. And when this 27-year-old girl told my wife all the things that she was going to find on her background check, 
my wife didn't pull back and go, ooh. My wife came to me and said, isn't this great? And with tear-filled eyes, the girl said, you're gonna see this on my background sheet, but I ain't like that no more. I'm not the same person that I was anymore. And then, then no doubt Paul was thinking about the Philippian jailer and his entire house that got saved that night while they were having a hymn sing down at the jailhouse. And no doubt Paul's thinking about all these people and the leaders that had been developed and it brought his heart great joy to know that people had invested in him and he had invested in them and their lives were transformed. On May the 25th of every year of my life, I write a thank you note. I have written a thank you note on May the 25th of every year since 1997. For it was on May the 25th of 1997 that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my life was radically in every way transformed and God used an instrument, a person, to bring me to faith in Christ and that person receives that thank you note every May the 25th of every year. Young person, listen to me. You better start being thankful. A number of years ago, I was preaching over here in Pittsburgh, Texas, just, just not too far from here. And I, I, had, I had actually uh, was traveling from the camp here. I, I was, we were here doing, I can't remember what we were doing. I think we were getting ready for summer camp. And at night, I'd drive over to the Bethel Baptist Church in Pittsburgh over here near Tyler. And I'd preach every night, come back to the camp, drive back there at night. <clears throat> Brother Doyle Russ was to preach there. He's, he's since retired. And he was one of the first preachers that allowed me to preach a revival meeting in his church. I'll always be grateful for that. I always remember those guys in those first couple years that let me preach. I don't know why they let me preach. I was meaner than a rattlesnake. And they, they, they let me preach and I go there and I remember I was like 24. Like I've learned a lot about 24 year olds. I've learned too much about 24 year olds, okay? I was trying my best, but the very fact of the matter was, I was of very little use to him. That's just the truth. I remember sitting down at his, church one, uh, his home one night after church and he started crying. He was upset about some things that were going on in his church. I had no experience. I had nothing to say. I sat there like a moron, just kind of staring at him, thinking maybe I should sell cars. Later on that week, I preached a message on the tongue out of James chapter three and the church was kind of in a tough spot and, and I said at the end of the service, I said, you know, you know what, you know what? We're gonna do this tonight. We're gonna do something different tonight. We're not, we're not, we're not having a regular invitation. You're gonna be the invitation tonight. And so I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna pray. When I get done praying, no piano, no nothing. I'm just, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna, sta we're just gonna stand up and, and we're gonna use our tongues for the use of edification, Ephesians 4.29. It's about as quiet as it is in here right now. They were like, yeah, we're gonna stand up and I want you to find somebody in the congregation that you appreciate, that you love, 
that means something to you, and I want you to, I want you to just tell them right here, right now, just do it. And I prayed and I said, amen. I looked at everybody. Who's first? We ain't going nowhere. I remember the first guy that stood up, pushed himself up on a walker. And he raised his feeble finger up and pointed across the room to a man that drove a van every Wednesday night to his house, walked up his cinder block steps, opened up his door, helped him down to the van, put his little step stool up to the van, helped him in the van. And, and I just remember him saying, I'd never get to go to church. Most people would think this would be an inconvenience. He never treats me like I'm a problem. He never acts like my slowness bothers him. He's just always there. He never misses. He said, I don't remember the last time that I wasn't at church because of him. And boy, then it started popping. And you know what began to happen? What actually began to happen is many people were looking to the preacher which is a good thing. And they were thanking him for being there when their babies were born. They were thanking them for being there when they were in the hospital. Thanking him for faithfully preaching the Bible in that church for 20 years. And on they went, and on they went, and on they went, and on they went for 45 minutes on. They went to each other, hugging, crying, slobbering. It was awesome. I'll never forget this as long as I live. The preacher stood up to dismiss the service, reached in his coat pocket, pulled out an envelope, opened up the envelope, pulled out his resignation letter, and tore it up in front of the congregation. It said, I had every, every desire to resign this church tonight but God has put wind in my sails to go another mile. Friend, listen to me, listen to me. Some of you don't write thank you notes for nothing. What's wrong with you? I was up at five o'clock this morning in Florida writing about 30 thank you notes for birthday presents because I knew what my week was gonna be like and I knew that if it got away from me, it wasn't gonna happen and I knew that I was flying from here to somewhere else to somewhere else to somewhere else and it was gonna get too far behind. You know who taught me that? My mom taught me that when I was in like fifth grade to always be thankful for anything that anybody had ever done for me. It didn't matter how small it was, didn't matter how big it was, but if it was something that somebody cared, in it, come on, if it was something that somebody cared enough to do for me because they cared about me, then I ought to care enough about them to be grateful for it. By the way, there's a difference between experiencing Thanksgiving and expressing Thanksgiving. And Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then he says this, not only am I thankful for people, do I need to say it? Obviously, I am thankful for God. I thank, watch it, my God his praise was directed to God. And verse six really unfolds. Now he is no doubt 
telling these people, encouraging these people about truths about God. There's no question about it. Verse six is one of the great verses in all the Bible that teaches us about what God has done in our lives and it, and it unpacks our whole redemption story in one verse. He says, he which hath begun a good work in you. That's your salvation, friend. Some of y'all are looking at me cross-eyed like you don't know what just hit you. I'm talking about right here and right now. I am thankful to God that I am saved. I am thankful to God that I'm not going to hell. I'm thankful to God that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm thankful that my sins are forgiven. I am thankful that he loved me enough to begin something in me that I could have never begun on my own. (laughs) Shall perform it. He was thankful for his sanctification. Look at me, young person. When God starts in you, he's not gonna stop. You don't believe that? You need to read Romans chapter eight, pal. If God started it, listen, he's gonna complete it. He is gonna transform you. It is his will that if you are saved, he is gonna transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. That is what God does. That is how God works. And young person, listen to me very carefully. It's not just about getting saved. That's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's just the start. God wants to do so much in your life. What he began in you, he wants to continue to perform in you. That's what this week is important for. And by the way, then he says this, until the day of redemption, that's your glorification. You've been saved, watch it. He's gonna grow you and one day he's gonna transform you forever and ever. Somebody better say amen right now. Look, that, that is heaven, that is glory. That is, hey, that's the finished product. We've never been there. We've never seen it. We've never known it. But listen, one day we are going to know. One day we're going to see him and we're going to be like him for we're going to see him as him. One day, hey, listen, one glorious day he is going to shed everything, all immortality, all sin, all death, all corruption is going to fall aside. And one day, because of Jesus, one day you are going to be in the presence of Christ forever and ever and ever. It's a guarantee because you're saved. Some of y'all haven't thought about this for a while, so let me rehearse it. Heaven. I'm glad there's a lot of things that ain't gonna be in heaven. There are no funeral homes in heaven. I'll never have to stand ever again. One glorious day, friend. I will never have to stand at the head of a casket of somebody that I love, of somebody that meant something to me. I'm never gonna have to shed those kind of tears one day. Hey, look, funeral directors have no job in heaven. There's no hearses in heaven. There's no graveyard in heaven. There's no death in heaven. It's gonna be great. No hospitals in heaven. Mm Mm-mm. There the lame will leap, the blind will see, the sick 
are gonna be whole. Hey, listen, the Bible's very clear that in chapter one here, dying is what? It is gain. My friend, death has no defeat over the life of a Christian because even if you die, you have actually been healed. You've been permanently and completely and forever healed. There's not gonna be nurses there. There's not gonna be doc. Come on, y'all. There's not gonna be doctors there. There's not gonna be any emergencies there. You're never gonna get in a car accident there and have to be rushed to an emergency room and go through surgery. Are you listening to me tonight? There is no hospital in heaven. By the way, there are no jails in heaven. There are no police officers in heaven. There's no crime in heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. For the former things are passed away. Aren't you glad about that tonight? And it leaves me with a couple thoughts here. Number one, listen, listen. Look at me, listen. God is not done with you yet. Some of you have had a bad year. I was on the phone with one of my men today, trying to swim in the pool. I was on the phone in the pool, <laughs> trying to pastor. I didn't tell him that's what I was doing, that's what I was doing. He's been back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, struggling with opiates back and forth and back and forth, disappointed his wife back and forth and back and forth over and over and over again. And right now he's separated from his wife. And I, as best I could, I sat there with that phone up to my ear and I said, listen, man, listen here, listen. If you're still breathing air, God is not done with you yet. Listen, man, you can come back. You can be something for God. You can recover your family. Follow God, you can do it. And I'm here to tell you the same thing. He that begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're not done yet. You say, you don't know what I do with my boyfriend or girlfriend. You're not done yet. You don't know what I smoked. You're not done yet. I dropped out of school. You're not done yet. I watched this. You're not done yet. Aren't you glad right now to know that God will never give up on you? And then how about this? Your eternity is secure. Lord have mercy, somebody better say amen right now. He gives unto you everlasting life. Nobody can take it away. No man can pluck you out of your father's hand. Your father, which is greater than all. Even if you believe not, Listen, 2 Timothy chapter two, even if you believe not, he abides faithful, he cannot deny his own. You ever read that one? If you're saved, you have been indelibly and eternally marked with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And even if your faith falters and you struggle, God knows who his own are because they have been marked by the divine ownership, the seal, come on, the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. And if that marks on you, just like a branded cow, you're never getting away from your owner. It's settled, friends. Some of you need to settle that this week. Man, you're like a yo-yo. You struggle all the time about this. Listen, he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you thankful tonight? My grandma died five years before my grandpa. They died in the same room of the same disease. They were married for over 60 years. 
And those five years between my grandmother passing into eternity, my grandfather passing into eternity were obviously very tough on my grandpa. He ultimately died at age 82. I remember going home during Bible college and working at my church and I'd oftentimes go see my grandpa. Many times. I'd walk down those steps at 152 Taylor Road in Dunbar, West Virginia, into that old house that was about 1,100 square feet where he raised six kids. And there my grandpa would be sitting in his rocking chair, struggling to breathe with lung cancer, watching Gaither homecoming videos. with tears running down his face. And in his hand, a letter. A letter that was written in the winter months in the middle of the 1950s. About three weeks after my grandpa got saved in a revival meeting in the midwinter down in the hills of West Virginia. On my desk in my church office, there's a picture of my grandma and grandpa getting baptized outside in January in a creek after they broke ice, snows all over the banks. My grandma got saved first. My grandpa got saved three nights later at the same meeting. And about three weeks later, after my grandpa was really catching fire for the Lord. My grandma wrote him one of the sweetest love letters that I've ever seen in my life. And it wasn't sappy. It was a thank you letter. It was a thank you for giving your heart to Jesus. It was a thank you for letting God turn your heart around. It was an encouragement that you're gonna be a great dad, that you're already being a great husband that God's gonna do something great in your life. Thank you that we have a Christian home. Thank you that we have a Christian marriage. Thank you that our kids are gonna to to grow up in church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 50 years later, he's clutching to it in a dark moment. Amazed that someone was thankful for him. My friend, I would hope somewhere in your life somebody would clutch into a letter like that. That you express your thanksgiving to somebody. And at very minimum, at least to God. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. 
May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.